something I've said many times to myself as well as to other people is it's not what we do that is so important. It's how we do it. There's so much compliance and obedience in our current culture and our educational system, churches, even social media. There's a lot of compliance. Fit in and make things work by fitting in. And a lot of what I would call magical thinking, which is I don't know if they believe this or are just hoping that if they do something, they'll get there. They'll get something. They'll fix something. They will become something. They'll feel something. One of the things that I find so incredibly sad and frustrating is that we never talk about this. So people keep doing things with no substance, no good energy behind it, no authenticity, and no one says anything. We all act as if it's okay. Kind of like when we don't speak up against racism or misogyny or cheating. We just smile and act as if nothing bad's happening, nothing weird is going on. And we grow into or ferment into this culture of acceptance of the banal, acceptance of the fake compliance and going along with what are really bad behaviors, empty behaviors, self-destructive behaviors. You know, like when someone says, oh, thank you for the gift, and you know they hate it. And no one can say, oh, thank you for the thought, but you know, I'm never going to use this. And I love you for the thought, but I'm not going to use it. I'm going to give it back to you so you can give it to someone else who might like it. Why is that considered such bad manners? Why is that considered offensive? As opposed to shining someone on and you're going to put the gift in the donation bin at the local thrift store or give it to someone else who will be sure not to reveal that they got it and uh, the original giver will be insulted and hurt. Why is it considered rude and offensive or aggressive even to say to somebody that apology doesn't feel right? I don't know if it doesn't feel real or Maybe it's the apology I've heard 15 times, so 
it's not touching my heart right now. It's not, it's not helping what's going on with us. Why is that considered bad manners as opposed to, I'm so sorry, oh, it's all right. And the hostility, the passive aggressive energy is still there. Nothing gets worked on. Nothing gets solved. I have to be so careful when working with people privately. I always have homework. You have this with therapy too. Good therapists, you have homework. Because you have to do the work, not the therapist. You're the one who has to do everything. The therapist is like your personal trainer, corrects your form, gives suggestions, gives encouragement, has a suggestion on how to change or increase or decrease in order for you to make progress. But you're the one who ultimately does the work and has to decide if it's working or not. So if I give someone homework, go to some 12-step meetings. Ask your mother or your mother-in-law these questions. Let's put together a list of questions together. See if you can find a way to ask her. And the person will come back and say, well, I went to the meetings. Or I asked my mother-in-law those questions. Great. What happened? Oh, well, I learned some things. What? Uh, I learned how to communicate. What did you learn to communicate? Well, I, I don't know. Uh, what was I supposed to learn to communicate? Whoa. <laughs> you mean you did the homework like a soldier listening to the sergeant? with no idea of what you were going to get out of it and, and no bringing that up and saying, why am I doing this? What am I looking for? What's the learning here? What's the challenge? Why are you asking me to do this? Etc. More like, well, I did what you told me. I'm a good boy, right? I'm a good girl, right? Now what? Now what do I do? Wow. Oh, and they're not four years old. The 35, the 48, the 57, the 66. The doing becomes kind of magical thinking. Well, this, this person, this shaman, this medicine person, or this therapist, or this author that I admire said to do this because they did it and they got results. So I'm going to do it too, and I'm going to get results. Well, what kind of results? I don't know. I'll be better. I'll feel better. Uh, it doesn't really work that way. Because what happens is, in the doing, you're not present. You're not invested. What you're doing is participating on the most perfunctory, superficial level that you possibly can. Just kind of inserting your body into the situation. 
you know, I always go back to sex as examples because everybody understands that what makes sex great or awful is the energy or the lack of energy. So that's the closest metaphor I can use that makes sense when we're talking about energy. So if someone just shows up for sex and here I am, okay, what do you want me to do to you? Okay, I did it. Okay. And what do you want, honey? What do you want me to want? <laughs> I am describing awful sex. In fact, it almost sounds like rape of a minor. That description. You don't have to know what you want in order to participate fully. You have to be, though, curious, willing to learn, a little scared because it's new, a little scared because you're going to be vulnerable every time you learn something new. People usually feel a little vulnerable, even if it's a new roller coaster ride. You're going to have to be able to ask questions. This doesn't feel right. Is this okay? What are we doing right now? Why did you say that? Oh, what you just said, that really affected me. So asking questions, feeling your feelings, feeling your reactions, noticing your triggers, noticing what you're learning. What's really hard about this is that so many wounded people, the moment there's a challenge, check out instead of checking in deeper. They get scared. They leave their body. Kind of like what rape victims do. They dissociate. So it is very hard in the beginning to do any kind of homework. But then again, here's your big chance. Say that. Speak up. I can't do what you're asking. It's too frightening. I don't understand it. What will I be learning? Why am I doing this? Sometimes also you'll hear yourself say, what will I get out of it? <laughs> And then you'll realize you're doing it for the wrong reasons. Getting something out of it is looking for gratification, payback, reward, accomplishment, something tangible, perhaps even linear. Growing and learning, while it has science behind it, is also mystical, magical. Brand new, taking you places you never even knew existed inside of your world and the outside of your world. We talk about mindfulness and self-awareness, and a lot of people, they're mindful when perhaps they're meditating, 
they're mindful when their mindfulness bell goes off. They might be mindful during an exercise class so they don't get hurt. They're mindful when they're being a good girl or boy and listening to the teacher and they nod their head and they smile and show how enthusiastic they are and that they're a good student and they're paying attention, but they're really doing all of that to get attention. But as soon as they walk out of a situation that calls for mindfulness, they stop being mindful. If you're at that stage of development, it's going to be very hard for you to do homework on your own. You won't notice when you get triggered. In fact, sometimes people learn, they have these giant blank spots. They'll say, yeah, I asked my mother-in-law this. What happened? I don't really know. Just We just kind of talked. Well, what'd she say? I don't really remember. Just, you know, she said things were okay the way they were. Now we're listening to the report of a person who checked out, who couldn't do the homework. Nothing wrong with that, by the way. That's a big learning. I can't stay present long enough to learn anything. The only time I can stay present is when I'm in the presence of somebody who keeps reassuring me, patting me on the head, giving me compliments, validating me, or supports my energy with their energy. That's the only time I can function. Good to know. Really good to know. I've had people study with me sometimes for five, six, seven, eight years. And I keep finding out how much they're lying about their drinking, about their eating, about... uh, They say they love their animals, but they don't spend time with their animals. Oh, I love nature because they think that's what I want to hear. And they want to be validated, accepted, loved, hugged, accepted, loved, hugged, accepted, loved, hugged. And I'll say, how many times have you been out in nature in the last three weeks? None. Okay. Why did you send me a picture of you in nature the other day? You know that you think that I will think more of you if you like nature. So the person, instead of cultivating themselves, is cultivating me. Trying to get my approval, my attention, my affirmation. Lots of people do this. In therapy, it's well known that it's very hard to do therapy with a codependent, people-pleasing person unless they're going to 12-step programs, because they're going to people-please the therapist, sometimes for years, which makes them a good cash cow, but not good for result. Why wouldn't you send your meditation teacher a picture of you drinking your third or fourth bottle of wine with your girlfriend while listening to rock and roll music and sitting outside 
listening to rock and roll music and drinking, maybe smoking, laughing. Not much to do with nature other than you're outside where no one will bother you while you sit outside and make a lot of noise and get drunk. Oh, I would never send my meditation that picture, teacher that picture. Why not? That's who you really are. Don't you want them to know you? Oh, oh, I, I'm not really that way. No, how often have you been drinking in the last three weeks compared to, say, going out in nature to be in nature? When you ask people questions like this, for some reason, they feel affronted. They feel attacked, demeaned, belittled. And it's a simple question of trying to get to the facts. How are you living your life? What are you actually doing? That's going to help determine what your path is right now, what you're capable of doing. If you can't stop drinking and partying and shopping and eating and sexing away your energy when you're uncomfortable, that's where you are right now. That's what Pema Chodron talks about. Start where you are. Why would you spend so much time manipulating the very person who you've hired to move you along? Why would you spend so much time and energy and careful thought and mindfulness in manipulating your image to the person who's trying to help you? When what is needed is total honesty and acceptance of where you are now. It's not what you do that makes you spiritual. It's how you do it. If you meditate five times a day, religiously, every day for ten years, but you do it like a Marine, you do it to punish yourself, you do it in a very rigid fashion, you do it with a sense of self-pride and arrogance. Look what I do. That is no more useful than someone who says, I'm lucky to meditate once every two weeks. I'm lucky to get that. One is not better than the other in terms of the how, I should say, in terms of the what they're doing. One is better than the other in terms of the how. The person who's meditating once every couple of weeks is being honest in their struggle. They're being authentic. They're not trying to fulfill a picture or impress anybody. They learned a lot about their shortcomings, their weaknesses. The other person, if they look inside, their how might be good. They might have learned that they're brutal towards themselves, they're rigid, that they prefer quantity over quality, that they haven't clearly defined for themselves what it is they're really looking for or wanting to experience other than obedience, discipline. And yet people think Oh, I should be the one that meditates five times a day for weeks. I'm sure that's 
much better. Well, it depends on how that's done. People read about self-care. They'll report to me. Yes, I went and got a massage and I, and I had a spa day. And I cut back on my shopping and they're reporting like, oh, like they're a probation officer turning in a report on a prisoner. But they are both the probation officer and the prisoner. There's no joy. There's no discovery. There's no angst. There's no discovery. There's no sense of coming to some insight. This isn't working. This is working. This is working a little bit, but I think I need to do it differently. This isn't working at all, but I learned so much. Wow, that was incredible. All of that is the how, not the what. Sometimes I'll spend a day with a person. I find this so incredibly invaluable. We get to see a lot of this with my teacher. We used to have week-long and two-week-long retreats. So you would be hanging out in this rarefied retreat for a long time. And you would start to really notice what you did and did not do and how you did things. How much you lied, how much you hid, how much you entertained everybody and shined them on with your charming personality while inside you were still hating yourself and your habits and your shortcomings. The same can happen hanging out with just one-on-one, even just for a day, with somebody who's not afraid to say, what just happened? You just left your body. Because in normal company, nobody's going to say that to you. First of all, they may not notice if they're checked out themselves. But second, if they do notice, they may not be able to help you in any way either. So saying something may or may not be beneficial. You hang out with someone for eight hours, and at least five or six times, there's that question, what just happened? Where'd you go? You're like, oh my God, I I check out all the time. I had no idea. If you check out all the time, it's really hard to check in enough to find out you're checked out. Hanging out with a teacher, a healer, a counselor is so beneficial. I remember one of my psychology professors, total rarity, never met anybody like him. And when he did psychotherapy with someone, he always went to their house because in their house told them, told him, so much more about the person than the person could tell. He would look at their bathroom. He'd look at how the animals reacted. He'd look at the shape of the house, whether it was freshly cleaned and put together, whether it looked well lived in, what the vibe was, how the neighbors reacted. It was just a wealth of information on the how, not just the what of why the patient was coming in for therapy. 
I don't know if legally we could do that nowadays, but I remember thinking, brilliant, absolutely brilliant. What better way to cut through the bullshit faster? And not that people mean to bullshit. A lot of people do, but a lot of people don't. They're just unaware. So hanging out with a trained observer and somebody who's energy sensitive, who you've given them permission to comment on and ask you questions about the how of what you're doing. You just ordered this food and it was clear you didn't like it and yet you continued to eat it instead of returning it and order something else. What's up with that? That simple question could lead to, oh my God, I do that with so many things. I do that with sex. I do that in a relationship. I, I do that with going to events I don't want to go to. Being able to catch your how is a very advanced practice. One of the reasons therapy takes a while is a therapist needs to get to know you long enough to notice the hows of what you're doing. Do you notice that you're always putting yourself down? That every time something happens, you're always sure it's your fault? That, even if a therapist sees that right away, a client, a patient, is not going to believe that observation until they've been with the therapist long enough to trust that observation. And if you're not trained in observation, you may not believe that someone can pick stuff up like that in the first 30 seconds of knowing you. So your left brain will say, well, they've been seeing me for two months, so I must be doing this, you know, a lot in the last two months for them to see it, so it must really exist. The other part of this is that it's a very vulnerable thing to be with somebody who cares about you enough or even loves you enough, loves you in the sense of loving you as a soul and wanting to see you thrive and not just survive, that they are willing to say very uncomfortable things to you, things that your friends would never say because it would affect the friendship, things that your spouse or lover will never say to you because it will jack up the relationship. Things that can't be said to you at work because it's a lawsuit. Why wouldn't you want to put yourself into a situation where someone could help you become more mindful more quickly? And why on earth, if you're working with someone like that, would you want to shine them on with fake pictures like... You really hate animals, but you always send a picture of you playing with a dog that you took just because you know the person you're talking to likes dogs. But you don't that much. You don't normally play with the dogs. That's not who you are. And sending that picture is a complete and, and ultimate manipulation. And why would you get mad if somebody says, quit it? Instead of letting you shine them on for another two years while you piss away your time feeling good in your community 
because you always manage to say the right thing in front of everybody and bring up the right pictures in front of everybody. So everybody goes, what a good guy that person is. What a good woman that person is. You can get that kind of validation cheap anywhere. Church, church groups are great for that. Women's clubs, your clients, family members who want to stay on good terms with you, especially if you have an estate of some kind that they want to get at some point. One of the reasons I always endorse going to 12 steps is that when you go to a 12 step meeting and you start talking, because you're talking about things of substance, because in 12 step meetings, you usually don't check out, at least not for very long, because everything is so real there, you get a chance to really light a fuse and hear yourself and observe yourself and your patterns of howness. How at home you present like a strong woman and every time you show up at the group you're whining or fawning and kowtowing, manipulating everybody for sympathy. And everybody to say, oh poor you, and oh you're so brave. And you start to notice, wow, I only do this here. Wait, maybe I do it at home. So 12 steps are a form for you to expose yourself to yourself, to expose to yourself the how of the what that you are doing. Sometimes I've heard people say that they've been in therapy for 20 or 30 years and hasn't done them a lot of good. And modern therapy is not very assertive. You know, Dr. Phil is an anomaly more than the norm. And Dr. Phil is known for his, uh, what they call it, tough love. But why waste your time and money with platitudes and pats on the back? Especially if you have a family that already pats you on the back and already loves you and gives you that validation. Do you really want to spend your time, money, energy, and effort on seducing someone else to get validation? Is it really an act of aggression when someone tells you uncomfortable things? When you've specifically gone to them to hear, find out, discover, face, learn about uncomfortable things that no one else has the courage or training or expertise or skill in talking about. One of the ways that you can start to break this habit down is stop talking about what you do. I went to the country with my friend. That's what you did. Talk about how you did it. I went to the country with my friend and I immediately drank four glasses of wine as soon as I got off the plane. 
I went to the country with my friend and I was so bored. So my friend and I went shopping the whole time I was there. I mean, Idaho was beautiful. But what I really liked was the jewelry stores. That's the how. The how of the church. What you decided to do, how you decided to do it. Stop talking about the what's. Start talking about the how. Another thing you can look out for is how much you avoid going to places where people know things about you. Lots of people won't go to 12-step meetings because they're afraid their dirty little secrets will come out, which they will. But what they're more afraid is that people won't like them anymore. Even worse, their own self-hatred and lack of self-respect will come out. But you'll also see this in church groups. I don't like that church. They all know about my affair. Well, they're still talking to you. They still like you. They still love you. Yeah, well, I'm sick of it. <laughs> ah. How much are you dodging places and people that give you the space or opportunity to look at the hows of what you did? How are you feeling when you cheated? How are you feeling facing everybody who now knows you cheated? How is that handling your self-esteem, your public image? your ability to spend time with people who know what you did. Notice how you feel around them. And how you feel about yourself being around them. Other than 12-step meetings, spending extended periods of time with a teacher, therapist, healer, either on a weekly basis or a day at a time, with permission for people to bring awareness to you by asking questions, making observations, feels like you just checked out. Feels like you just suddenly got so manic. What happened? Oh, I ate sugar. Whoa. Look at that. Wow. And maybe you never noticed it before. Or maybe you did. And you never noticed or cared how much it affects people around you. Because no one's ever going to say that to you. Whoa, you feel so manic after the sugar. They'll say that to a little kid, by the way. Johnny, you can't eat all that candy because then you'll be bouncing off four walls. You know, you'll hear that, but adults don't say that to adults. It's not polite society. Twelve-step meetings 
where you start to speak up. It's scary, so yeah, listen at first. Start to talk. Change your language. Stop giving false reports of what you did. You kind of mentioned what you did, but then talk about how that was for you. Relaxing, aggravating, scary, boring. New stuff, old stuff. How much you lied. How much you faked. How much felt really good. At first, for some people, what I'm describing is hell. (laughs) I'd rather die than open myself up to a possible attack. This is the vulnerability that Brene Brown talks about. Let me tell you, you have no idea how much time and energy you're spending being a baggage handler. Handling your own baggage day in and day out. And how arrogant you are to think that you are fooling the people around you with your fake reports and your posturing and presentation. And how arrogant and self-righteous you become thinking you're getting away with it. Because obviously they're too stupid to notice or say anything. I know this isn't a conscious thought. But it's an energy field. Trust me. How much shame you're hiding. How much thought goes into the constant manipulation of information and circumstances and the reporting of such. In order to glean a smile, a hug, or some approving glance from someone. It really is like being a junkie, doing anything you can to score that shot into the arm. It's going to give you that rush to get you through at least the next few hours, half a day, maybe the day. So at first it may feel exhausting to put a new habit into place, but that's just because the old habit, that drains you dry is unnoticeable. It's kind of like if you've ever had an abscess tooth pulled. And until the tooth is pulled, you don't realize how much you've been hurting, how much has been draining your body, how you had a low-level sore throat, a low-level fever, exhaustion, craving sugar, because you had a low-grade infection that was eating you alive. And yeah, it took some time to go to the dentist and get it pulled, get shots, take some medication, feel a lot of pain. But then it starts to heal, and you're like, oh my God, I haven't felt this good in eight months. I should have gone to the dentist sooner. This is always what happens when we start to clean up our how. How I'm doing what I'm doing. And if you don't know how you're doing when someone's working with you, you get to ask. How does this work? Why am I doing this? What's going on? I don't understand. 
I don't get it. I don't think I can do it. What else can I do? What kind of information do I need to bring back? What kind of learning am I looking at here? What if I don't know how to do it? This is a different kind of how in participation rather than smiling, compliance, not asking questions, figuring best how. This work isn't easy. My teachers often said, it's easy to be a bad person. It's easy to have bad habits. That's why so many do it. Reconsider the hows of your life. Cut down on the what you're doing until you get the how you're doing it a little bit better in line with your growth. If you can't do it alone, which most people can't, I hope you have the courage and the priorities to be willing to invest time and money in yourself for this kind of work. If you're sure you can't afford it, write down on a piece of paper for a month where you're spending your money. $20 a day on food. How much money on clothes, hair, nails, gas, incidentals. Every time I've done this with somebody, they have been shocked to see how much money they're just wasting away in order to kill time. I don't have money, but I'm going on vacation. I don't have money, but I just bought an Italian handbag. Then you can say, I have the money. I just don't want to spend it on me and my growth. And now you're being honest. Or you may say, wow, I actually do have the money. But I'm afraid. Well, you're one step closer. Never have I done this exercise and had somebody come up with really not having the money. There's always places to cut back. A beer and potato chips once a day for five fifty times thirty. That's a lot of money. That's a session or two with someone. Where do you spend your time? I don't have time for 12-step meetings. Really? Pen and paper. Track what you do for a month. How much TV do you watch? How much scrolling do you do? And then you might say, you know what? I spend 20 hours a week scrolling, and I like it. Good. Now you're making an honest choice. You're in line with your how. How you're living your life. It always works. People hate doing it. Sometimes I've asked people to do it. 
one year, a woman who said she had no money turned out she spent about $15,000 on an amethyst table, essential oils, crystals, but she had no money to do any sessions and do any work on herself. And once she realized that, she never spoke to me again. All that was, was fact gathering. But she felt busted, I guess. She busted herself. Be brave. If you bust yourself, choose it. Yep, that's what I want to do. Or change it and make another choice. It's America. You can do that. <laughs> Hope to see you at Life Path Healings. Journey on.